I know that here uh, at our church we have some Civil War buffs, and I'm a little bit of one. Maybe you've read all the books and watched all the History Channel shows, and maybe you've even been one of those people that uh, visits the battlefields and everything. Uh, but um, it is uh, one part of that story of the Civil War I think everybody needs to be familiar with, and it has to do with the end of the Civil War. Spoiler alert, the South lost, the, <laughs> the Confederacy lost. But it was this episode there, um, the Southern Army led by Robert E. Lee, a uh, brilliant commander, really kind of a military genius, uh, but he was in a hopeless cause. Uh, outnumbered, outgunned, uh, better weapons on the other side. The North actually, at some point during the war, developed a functional navy to blockade the South. Uh, you had all of the industry basically was up North. Uh, so it was only a matter of time uh, before the South capitulated, before they lost. And Lee could see it coming. He wasn't quite ready to surrender, uh, but he saw it coming. And at one point, his counterpart on the other side, Ulysses S. Grant, sent a letter to him uh, in, in the spring of 65, asking for the two to meet and discuss the terms of Lee's surrender. And at first, he wasn't ready to get together with Lee, but then he recognized his cause was hopeless and in very short order said, yes, I will meet you at the famous Appomattox Courthouse there at McLean House in, in Virginia. And so he made his way, Lee did, through lines of his Confederate soldiers his boys there, and they were a miserable lot, shoeless and half-starved, uh, just uh, dying in droves, faced with this juggernaut from the north. And so he finally made his way through the lines, arrived at McLean House, and he told General Grant, quote, we are pressed and ready to surrender. What are your terms. And of course, Ulysses S. Grant held all the cards, which made his response all the more surprising. Grant said, we accept your surrender, but we will impose no retribution on you, no prison time, no judgment on the rebels. All that we ask is that you turn in your weapons, that you go back home, and that you plant your fields. Uh, and so Grant ordered that Lee's starving men be given meal rations. He ordered that horses and mules be provided to the southern soldiers so that upon their return home, they could plow their fields. Grant demanded simply this, stop fighting, start living. And today, as we come to the end of our Freedom in Christ series, I think there is a word that captures everything you need to know about finding freedom in Jesus, and it's the word surrender. Isn't that what we do when we declare Jesus Lord? You say, you're in charge, you're the authority, I'm tired of trying to do it on my own. I realize that in the presence of God, I am spiritually malnourished. I am a hopeless cause. I need you. It's an act of surrender coming to Jesus. Faith is surrender. Faith is a recognition that you are spiritually bankrupt, that you have no leverage. And you cry out for the grace of God. That is faith. And so the rebels were to turn home 
and to plant their fields, and that is what they did. Humanity, every single one of us, we have lived at one point or another in rebellion to God, refusing to recognize his authority in our lives, refusing to call him our creator and our God, refusing him, denying him the worship and the praise that are due him. And so Jesus says in Luke chapter 9, it's time to stop fighting and start living Lay down arms, accept my grace, and accept me as your Lord. Luke chapter 9, he said, Jesus, to all of them, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, let him take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? If anyone would come to me seeking what? Jesus says, seeking life, seeking salvation, seeking to find yourself. You lay down arms. You declare your dependence on me. It's funny how that word surrender has such a bad connotation, really. I mean, like, it leaves a bad taste. Surrender, uh, that has to do with giving up. That has to do with, with cowardice. Uh, that is degrading, but it's funny to me because we do it all the time. In fact, our lives depend on surrender. Ever take a taxi or an Uber? You know, you get, you strap yourself in the backseat of this car that is being driven by someone in all likelihood that you have never met. Your life is in their hands for the next 20 minutes. Will you live or die? Will you make it to your destination? It's an act of surrender. Have you ever, uh, have you ever flown, uh, flown before, gone to the airport and gotten on board a commercial flight? I did, Isla and I just got off a 10-hour flight from London to Dallas on Wednesday. Still a little bit groggy. Um, but yeah, I, the cockpit door is locked. I don't know the people in there. I don't know their skill set. But my life was definitely, along with the other 300 passengers, in their hands. For, the, for those 10 hours. Um, and then, you know, if you've ever had surgery, right? I mean, surgery, really, basically, when you get an anesthesia, you are going offline. You are turning off your consciousness. You are naked and vulnerable before the surgeon and this team of doctors. Your life is in their hands. But you need that surgery, Oftentimes, your life depends on that, and you realize that, that that surrender is a precondition to getting a new lease on life. So yeah, if you think you never surrender, think again. Daily life depends on it to some extent, really. Um, now, here's the thing. Raising the white flag, that's what Jesus essentially asks of us if we are to put him on, and that's where we need to finish out our Freedom in Christ series today. Um, week one, we talked about salvation itself, our spiritual lives. Like, th there is this bankruptcy that we have. We realize, I have no leverage. I am outgunned. My holiness next to God's holiness is a joke. And so week one, we found that surrender to Christ spiritually is coming to him and realizing, I got nothing. I am lost. I need you. And thanks 
to God, we have the good news, the gospel, that he sees our plight and our creator and our heavenly father loves us so much, he sent Jesus to die for us. Week two, we talked about forgiveness. We all have a choice to forgive or not forgive. You are free to choose your response. You have wronged people. You have been wronged by people. You have let people down. You have been let down by people. You can hold on to that. You can live with a grudge, with resentment. You can demand that that other person get on their knees and beg you for forgiveness. Or you can release them. You can move on without holding on. And isn't that exactly what Jesus did for you? He released you from your sins against God. He took the blows for you so that you could be set free. Week three, we talked about patience, and boy, do we need it. We have challenging situations. We deal with challenging people, and we find in James chapter 5, verse 8, we can establish our hearts in Jesus, and we can be patient Because we know that we are tied to eternity and that we are secure as his sons and daughters. Um, And then uh, we talked about week four, freedom from strongholds. That was at first service. You can go back and watch that if you missed it. We talked about freedom from strongholds. Think bad habits, think addictions, things of that nature. We talked about how Jesus sets us free from those things. Uh, Toxic beliefs, um, ideas that we have that, that we accept as true that really aren't true and they mess up our lives. What does surrender have to do with that? It means saying, Jesus, I trust your word over the lies that I have come to believe, over the attitudes and beliefs that have warped my life. I'm coming to you, and I'm trusting your word as the final word, and he sets us free that way. And then last week, Brian Borden helped us uh, talk about something that's near and dear to my heart, and that is this craving, this need that some of us have for approval and applause. Oh, I hope everybody likes me. I I hope people admire me. And that is a special kind of bondage, isn't it? And Brian talked to us about what happens when we say, really, what people think doesn't matter so much. What my father thinks is what matters. And God says he loves you. God says you are accepted, you are forgiven. He calls you his son, his daughter, and that sets us free. So, stop fighting and start living. When a person yields to Jesus, they raise the white flag and they declare him to be the Lord of lords. And there is freedom and strength in that. I bet most of us are familiar with a fellow named John the Baptist. Quite a, my mom would call him a character, I think. He was a very unique, one-of-a-kind dude. And I would say kind of a man's man. John the Baptist was a bit of a wild man, a first-century survivalist. He chose to live away from civilization, and he wore his homemade clothes, and he ate locusts, and he ate wild honey, and he went around telling people exactly what it is. He was a preacher, and he did not hold back at all. And people, people wanted that. They were refreshed by this guy. And so people came from Jerusalem and Judea and other parts of Israel to hear him spit fire and preach the truth. You had country folk, city folk, rich people, poor people. You had soldiers. You had those who were oppressed by the soldiers. You had 
tax collectors and religious leaders, they came to hear John the Baptist preach this message of repentance. Um, And so, yeah, he's out there preaching, and people are listening to him, and he is really kind of a profile encouraged, John the Baptist. Um, Soldiers... They came to hear him. Imagine them wearing their swords, dressed in some armor and stuff. And he would look them in the eyes and he would tell them, quit stealing from the citizens. Wow, that's gutsy. (laughs) Tax collectors showed up to hear John the Baptist preach. And he would say, you guys are ripping people off and you need to stop it. Um, The guy was... The guy was something else. Um, and then when the religious leaders came and their, you know, their, their nice robes and, and holding their Torah scrolls and they walked out there to hear John the Baptist preach, he didn't hold back on them either. Matthew 3, 7, when he saw many Pharisees and Sadducees coming to watch him baptize, he denounced them. You brood of snakes, he exclaimed. Oh my goodness, this guy was a lot of things. Subtle was not one of them. So, and then there was the time he called out the king. (laughs) I mean, he preached against Herod Antipas, who was doing all sorts of evil things. John the Baptist even named a specific sin of adultery that this guy was committing. Uh, Luke chapter 3, verse 19, and then in the next verse, um, no surprise, he gets arrested by Herod Antipas and will eventually be beheaded at the king's order. So even John the Baptist, this courageous speaker of truth, this man's man, this warrior for God, even John the Baptist knew the importance of surrender. In fact, the reason that John's preaching had such power, the reason he lived and preached without fear was that he lived in surrender to the lordship of Jesus. Like um, some of those who came to hear John preach, they pressured him. They wanted him to promote himself. I mean, you you really got something good going on here. You could really be something. So they wanted him to, to declare himself to be the Messiah, the Christ. They wanted John to declare himself to be like the second coming of the prophet Elijah. They wanted him to promote himself, but instead he demoted himself and promoted Jesus. Listen to what he said to those who wanted him to to grow his brand. He said in John chapter 1, he told them, I baptize with water, but right here in the crowd is someone you do not recognize. Though his ministry follows mine, I'm not even worthy to be his slave And I'm not worthy to untie the straps on his sandals. He understood just who he was and what he was there to do. He was was the opening act. He was the hype man for the Son of God. You guys come out here and you think I'm a big deal. I'm nothing compared to one who stands in your midst and you don't even know who he is. Um, John chapter 1, picking up in verse 29. The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and John said, look, it's the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He is the one. He is the one I was talking about when I said a man who's coming after me who is what? Who is far 
greater than I am, for he existed long before me. I did not recognize him as the Messiah, but I have been baptizing with water so that he might be revealed to Israel. And then John testified, I saw the Holy Spirit descending like a dove from heaven and resting upon him. I didn't know he was the one, but when God sent me to baptize with water, he told me, the one on whom you see the Spirit descend and rest, that's the one. That's the one who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. I saw this happen to Jesus, and so I testify, he is the chosen one of God. So he understood power, right, of surrender. Um, everybody surrender. A lot of people surrender to the wrong things. They surrender to the, to the opinion of those around them. They surrender to, to a quest for popularity, hinging their happiness on what other people think or say about them. You talk about a unique form of bondage and misery. It's right there. People surrender to the wrong things all the time. The invitation of Jesus is to surrender to me. I gave you life. You will find yourself in me. Isn't that the paradox of what Jesus taught there? If you fight for your life, you lose it. If you lay down your life for me, you find it. Colossians 3 starts up with this about finding our true selves in Jesus. And I think that's what's going on with John the Baptist. He found who he was. He knew himself, his true self, only in relationship to Jesus Christ. He humbled himself in the presence of Jesus. It doesn't work like... It doesn't work to bring Jesus on as, a, as an attache. <laughs> it doesn't work to hire Jesus on as your co-pilot or junior lieutenant or an advisory capacity. That doesn't work. He demands your all. Jesus demands unconditional surrender. Raise the white flag. And so John says in verse 30, Jesus is what? Quote, far greater than me. So for John and for us today... Surrender means several basic things. One of them is simply acknowledging Jesus as Savior. That means giving up on my project of saving myself and crying out to Jesus. I need your grace. I need your salvation. You, as John said, are the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Let me ask you something. Who else can do that for you? Who else died on a Roman cross for your salvation? Who else shed their blood so that your sins could be washed away? There is no one but Jesus qualified to be your Savior. And it also means acknowledging Jesus as the Messiah, the Christ. That means the chosen one, the anointed one. That means saying, you are the one that my soul has been waiting on, hoping for since the day I was born and of course, it means saying, Jesus, you are my Lord. Far greater, verse 30, than I am. And then that curious phrase, we'll get to that in a few minutes. For he existed long before me. We'll get to that in a minute. Look, there is no true surrender as long as I call the shots in my life. Even General Lee knew surrender is going to involve laying down the arms, stopping the rebellion. And for us as believers, it's following every day Jesus as Lord, as authority in our lives. Stop the fighting. 
Start the living. Now that statement in verse 30. John says, Jesus existed long before me. Really curious statement considering their birthdays were only six months apart and considering John was actually born first that's a weird statement John he existed long before you he wasn't talking about birthdays was he he was declaring that Jesus is God in flesh. Jesus is the creator. Jesus is the holy eternal God who came into our world. And if you rewind back, we've been looking at John chapter 1 today. If you rewind back to the first verse of John, you get that. John says, in the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God, in him was life, and the life was the light of men. John found himself in the presence of God. And he raised the white flag. And that's how anyone that recognizes who Jesus is, that's how they respond. They surrender and say, yes, Lord, my life is yours. And that's a precondition, honestly, precondition for experiencing freedom. And John the Baptist, it's so interesting. He found out who he was only when he found Jesus. Um, he found Jesus, he found himself, and that's the way it works. When you lose your life, Jesus said in the verse we started out with this morning, when you lose your life for me, you find it. So what are you holding on to today? In your sweaty little hand, what is that smashed dandelion that you will not turn loose of? You know, what sin, what habit, what false belief that you have bought into for years, what is it? Come to Jesus, quit the fighting, and start living. Lay it down and pick up your cross and follow Jesus. Here's what's really amazing and this is really what separates our faith from every other faith on planet earth. Before Jesus came along and told us we need to surrender, he surrendered his life for us. What an amazing Lord that we worship and serve. He was crucified for our sins. I love this ancient song that the first century church sang. Paul quotes the lyrics here. In Philippians chapter 2, Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not account equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he chose to empty himself. He took the form of a servant being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Is your life a confession? That Jesus Christ is Lord. 
Has your knee bent to Jesus and acknowledged him as Lord and Savior? It'll happen someday, Paul says. Every knee will bow. The best time to bow your knee is today. And to put him on as your Lord and Savior. And really, the ultimate symbol of this surrender is Christian baptism. You quit living. You are buried with Jesus. And you are raised to a new life where you live for him. Powered by his Holy Spirit. Forgiven a fresh start.